As my friend Tyler said this morning, it is new year, new series, new service times, new shirt Sunday. It is a great day. I, I was away this last week. I ordered this thing online and put my eyes on it last night. I'm so glad it fit. All right. We're going to start a new series. We're going to do a short series in relationships as we start this new year because relationships are so important and we want to get the most out of them. God wants our relationships to flourish. So in your mind, what relationships do you have right now that are the most life-giving? Like who do you just want to be around because of the way they fill you up? encourage you? Is that, a, is that a friend group? Is that a roommate? Is that a coach, a team member, brother, sister, husband, wife, grandparent? Who is it that gives you the most life? That's one category. Another category, who is the most frustrating relationship you have right now? I mean, they just drain you. They take so much work to love. Now, again, this could be a friend. That could be drama on your sports team. That could be your roommate. That could be your spouse. That could be your parents. That could be a troubled kid, a teenager, a disobedient child, an aging parent that's just getting ornery. And so these are categories that we have. We have relationships that we would say, man, they caused my life to flourish, they fill me up. I want to be around them as much as I can. And then we have these relationships. Man, they just drain me. They're so hard. I don't know how to fix them. And what we want to do on this short series is look at how do we love like Jesus loved us. In fact, that's what he calls us to do. We gather as Christians to love these relationships in a very different way than the world would call us to love these people. This is what Jesus says in John chapter 13 in verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, Christian, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus calls and says, okay, now you've seen the way that I've loved you. I've modeled this for you. I've given you examples of how I love. Now, as a distinguishing marker of you being a disciple, disciple means follower, a pupil, one who is learning to practice the ways of Jesus, a distinguishing marker that the world would say, Christian, there's a Christian, there's a Christian, is watching how you love. Now, is that the way the world often identifies Christians? Probably not. But man, that'd be my heart, is if our cities identified you as a Christian by the way that you loved, that your love was so distinct than the way the world loved, the way that they experienced love, that they would say, you're something different. What are you? I actually don't know what you are. And you would say, oh, I, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a Christian. So he calls us to love like he loved us, and it would be our distinguishing marker. Now, the world has a lot of ideas about love, has a lot of ideas for relationships, how to fix relationships, how relationships flourish. And a lot of those ways are really terrible. 
has caused a lot of conflict in families, in friends groups, in communities, in neighborhoods. And so what I want to do is the next few weeks is spend some time in the book of Colossians. Paul writes to a church in Colossae because they are in danger of being deceived from worldly ways and philosophies of how to do life, how to think about God, what to think about Jesus and salvation. And he doesn't want them to fall prey to deceptive philosophies and ideas and shipwreck their life, including their relationships. And so he wants to remind them of what Jesus said of how to love. Jesus said it. Paul now, in all these letters to communities around, he's just giving commentary on it. What does it look like to love like Jesus loved? And so we're going to go to Colossians, and we're going to start in verse, or sorry, chapter 2, verse 8, which is kind of the heart of this letter, why he's writing. Verse 8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. The, the philosophies, the teachings, the ways in which Paul is talking about is, is movements of the world, groups of the world, their own doctrines, their own ideas, their own mantras. I love it says, the spirits of the elemental world, meaning that what, what's the spirit of the age? What's, what's the flesh of the age saying? If we were to say, what is the spirit of our age? And when it comes to love, what would that be, do you think? Self. That's right. If there's one word to describe the spirit of our age and how we define love, it is self. It is self-fulfillment, self-identifying, self-determining, self-ish. We have selfie sticks. We have phones. So you can take a selfie of you. And much of our love and our relationship is through the lens of self. Does this make me feel better? Does this satisfy me? Does this complete me? Does this make me feel loved? Is this good for me? And the way that Christ loved us was not selfish, but gave himself for you. And so it's a totally different way in which you love, which is why if we love this way, the world will say, man, you look different. You act different. Your relationships look different. You must be a follower of Jesus who loves very different than the world does. And so Paul says, okay, church, I don't want you to fall prey to these deceptive ideas. And he lists out all these ways in which it looks religious even, practices, to try to transform broken relationships, to try to transform what's broken in us. And he says, it's all worthless. This is chapter two, look at verse 23, at the end of the chapter. He says, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. I mean, like, you're gonna try really hard. You're gonna strive really hard. Here's the program for the new year. And all of it, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Like all the selfishness that's destroying my relationships, the ways of the world is of no value in transforming me. And I need to be transformed. 
For what is the common denominator in all the relationships that are really frustrating to you? You. Yeah. I am. I'm the common denominator in all of these relationships. And so as much as I want to change him, I want to change her, I really have the ability to look at me. And that's what we're gathered to do, is look at us and say, Lord, help us to love like Jesus with others in mind. And this is why it's of no value. This is why it doesn't work. Go back up to verse 8. According to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. The reason it doesn't work, the reason the way the world sets up love doesn't work is because it's not according to Christ. Now, why does that matter? It's because Christ is the author, the designer, the creator of all our relationships. He's the designer and the creator of you and how you operate within relationships. Colossians opens up, if you go to the first chapter, I know we're popping around, but in the first chapter, there's this high view, this exaltation of who Jesus Christ is. This is chapter 1, verse 15. It says, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Have you ever wondered what God's like? Does he care? Does he love? Is he compassionate? Does he bother with you? Just look at Jesus. Jesus has made visible the invisible God. Jesus is the image of God. And it says, he is the firstborn of all creation. Now, that's not in order. Like, he's the first one in a long line of those created. That's a title. Like, you would say, the first lady. It doesn't mean she's the first lady to exist. It means that she has the title, the position of first lady. So she's the firstborn. That's, that's the title of preeminence. In fact, just to make sure you don't think that he's created, it actually says in the next verse, for by him all things were created. So if he created himself, what would that make him? God. Yep. So you don't miss it. He's not a created being. He's the image of God. He's God. All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. All things Sorry, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So if you go look at the Genesis account, and it talks about God creating humanity, the verbiage is this, let us make humanity, men and women, in our image. What's so striking about that? Is the plural, let us make man, humanity, in our, this is the earliest indication of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, triune God. He's already in perfect relationship. God does not create because he's lonely and needs a friend. We are created out of a divine, eternal love relationship. Michael Reeves writes this book called Delighting in the Trinity, trying to answer this question. What was God doing before he made us? Like We can't even imagine. What would God do if we didn't have us? <laughs> he's like, you know what he was doing? He was delighting in community. Delighting in community. Father, Son, and Spirit. And from that divine, perfect, loving community that was complete, we were birthed. He made us. So through Christ, and what, what were we made for? For him. The first thing we're made for is relationship with God. 
And if we can't get that right, none of our other relationships are going to work. We're made through him and for him. We're made for him. He has wired us to be in a relationship. So why do the world's philosophies and ideas about love and relationships not work? It's because they're absent of the designer who made you, shaped you, and created you. What do you do when something breaks? You call the manufacturer. You look at the, the design codes. You say, how, did, how is this thing supposed to work? And so the, way, the, way, the reason that the world's philosophies don't work is because they're always trying to throw off the designer and try to create new ways of doing things. And we know from Genesis that we live in dysfunction of relationships. That's what sin brought was death. First and foremost, separation from God's relationship. And then broken relationships within humanity. And then broken relationships even with creation. And the question we should ask is, designer, creator, how are we to be repaired? How do we fix this thing? And so we have to look towards Jesus Christ, to love like Jesus loved. Because Jesus came to repair what was dysfunctional. And we look at what's first and foremost dysfunctional within ourselves. And so Paul writes to this church and he reminds them, okay, listen, there was a way you lived that was before Christ. And you have all sorts of behaviors that ruin relationships. And now that you are in Christ, there's, there's a new way in which we do relationships. And so you're going to put off what was old and you're going to actually put on what's new. You're going to put away the world's ways of loving and doing relationships and you're going to put on what Christ says so that your relationships flourish and you love like Jesus. So chapter three opens up with this call. Chapter three, verse one, if then you have been raised with Christ. So if you're a Christian in the room, this is for us. If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Right? So put your mind on Christ, the ways of Christ. The reason the things of the world don't work is because they're void of Christ. So get your mind on Christ. And you're going to put off this first. Verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. This is how you used to behave in your relationships. Sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil, desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. Like we've all lived there. Everyone in this room has lived there. Then he goes on. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Now you just think of this list, and some of these words are not as familiar to you. That's okay. But here's a list of all of these behaviors. It starts with those first behaviors that are self-seeking. Sexual immorality leads to this impurity of perversion of appetites, passions, and lusts. You have evil desires, wanting to do wrong, harm people, covetousness, another word for greed. Like you're never satisfied with what you have. You're always imagining what it would be like to have what other people have, to live in that house, to be married to that person, to have that job, have that wealth, never satisfied in your own relationships. Those are all self-seeking. And then it turns to this like self-protection that's vindictive. It's unhealthy. You have anger, which is your attitude of just being mad. You have an angry spirit in you. 
They have wrath, which is a description of outbursts and rage. Like you just have a temper that just goes off. Malice is a description of gossip, talking about stories that don't belong to you in order that you might slander, which is abusive words to cut someone down with your words that you use. Obscene talk is not just filthy language, but innuendos, suggestive talk. And this last of just lies, you just don't tell the truth. You hide your past. You lie where you've been, what you were doing, where the money went, your intentions. Let me ask you a question. If you make a list of these things, who wants to be married to someone like this? Like, wouldn't it be miserable? In fact, aren't these descriptions of the, the relationships in some way that are really frustrating to you? Like, they just, they just lie. They're angry, hard person to be around. They have outbursts. They're wanting to do all these wrongs. These would be descriptions of these relationships. Now, I, don't, I won't ask you for a show of hands, but who's married to someone like this? Who's friends with someone like this? Whose kids are like this? Like, yeah, these, these are descriptions. Now, here's a question. Who is this in the room? Remember, such were some of us. Like, these behaviors linger in our own lives. Can we just be honest with it? Like, part of these things are true of you. And as we walk with Christ, they're true of us in a decreasing measure. But we're, we're trying to put off these things, aren't we? But nobody wants these things in their relationship. These, these destroy marriages. This destroys friendships. This destroys families. This destroys businesses, communities, work cohorts, sports teams. This ruins relationships. And so Paul said, you put those things off. Well, if you're going to put something off, you got to put something on, right? And so what do you put on next? Well, it depends on who you are. Your identity helps determine what you dress like. And so here in chapter 3, verse 12, he says, put on then, and he first gives you your identity, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. And someone said, do you know who you are? These are three words that you could describe yourself. If, if, you're, if you're wondering your identity, if you're in Christ, this is it. I'm chosen. Like God wanted me. I am holy, which means set apart or, or called out. And I am beloved. The, the heavenly father who made me loves me. He cherishes me. What's my identity? Do you know this about yourself if you're in Christ? You are chosen. You're wanted. You are called out, separated, and you are, you're beloved. You belong to somebody. He wants you. And because now you know who you are, you know how to dress up. Like, now I know what to put on. It says this, for a love like Jesus... Clothe yourselves in compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, it's not a word for gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So it sews it up. And so what are we supposed to clothe ourselves in? If we're going to put this off, what are we going to put on? We're going to put on the things of, of Jesus Christ. And every single one of these descriptions is a description of how Jesus loved compassionate hearts. 
Matthew tells us that Jesus saw the crowds who are harassed like sheep without a shepherd to protect them. And Jesus came near and began to teach them. And his coming near was said to have compassion on them. Kindness. It is the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. The way that we were drawn to God was because of his kindness towards us. This is kindness that opens the doors for us to belong to him in his family. This is what Paul says in Galatians chapter 3 right here, just a verse up. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Like the reason that all of these different kinds of people, all the different nations, every tribe, tongue, nation, those who are wealthy and those who are poor, those who are successful, those who are not, are welcomed in Christ is because of his kindness. He's a welcoming God. Another word for kindness could be generosity. He's generous to welcome us into his family and to give us grace. Humility. This is Jesus Christ, who did not see equality with God, something to be held on to, but humbled himself. This is the Christmas story, taking on flesh, that of a babe. It's his coming in humility. Humility is to consider the needs of others as more important than your own. That's different than selfie love. Considering the needs of others, that's humility. Gentleness. Jesus says, are you worn out? Are you tired? Come to me. I am lowly and I am gentle. I'm gentle with you. I know your weaknesses. I know your wounds. I won't break a bruised reed. I won't put out a smoldering wick. I'm gentle with those. That's his love. And it says he is patient. And I love it that this patience is connected to bearing with one another. Do you know what bearing with one another is? Is being aware of other people's weaknesses, of their warts, of their foibles, of their immaturity, and being willing to come alongside them and help. The word for that is support. Do you know how to, long, do you know how to come along someone who's in process? of becoming mature in Christ? Or do you just demand perfection right now? Do you, do you have space for people in your life that are in process? That's what it means to bear with one another. And then the F word, forgiving. We don't want to hear that. Forgiving as he forgave us. Love keeps no records of wrongs, Paul tells us. Man, I know a lot of people in my life that like an HR department on Thomas Milburn, <laughs> and they got a thick file. And anytime I offend them, they're happy to go in the filing cabinet and weaponize my mistakes. But we are called to forgive as we have been forgiven. The Lord knows all of your faults, and he refuses to bring them up and weaponize you with them. Why do we keep treating other people like that? It's not loving like Jesus. And this last part is love. That it's his love, his perfect love, who laid down his life that sews this whole thing up together. And let me ask you a question. How many of you would like to be married to someone like that? How many of these attributes do you want in your friendships? who are patient with you, who support you, who tell you the truth, who are compassionate and generous towards you. Yeah, see, this is a description of the relationships that flourish. And so when we put on Christ and we love like Jesus in our relationships, this is where flourishing happens. 
when we live in the philosophies and teachings of the self-centered world that are self-seeking and self-vindictive, we'll destroy one another and ourselves. Now, the call is to put on Christ, to be transformed and changed here, to love like Jesus. And that's at the same time where it feels so defeating. How can you do that? And the reality is you can't. Christ has to do it through you. This is why we come to Christ, is because we can't actually put this off. Jesus has to do that. This is why he came and died on the cross. This is what we remember at the communion table, is the work of Jesus Christ to cut this out of our life. This is Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. It says, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. So it's a, it's a medical treatment of cutting off, but this cutting off did not happen with human hands. And it, what's cutting off is the flesh, this stuff. You were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And this is where he disarms authorities and principalities that you might be free. I actually can't cut this off. I need Christ to do it. I need Christ to do this work in me. This is what Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 29. Thanks for jumping around the book with me. It's kind of fun. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So, you know, Paul is actively putting to death these things, choosing these things, but he recognizes it's Christ's energy that's transforming him. Now, I'm going to tell you my own little story that maybe some of you guys know. As a teenager, I was that ornery, rebellious kid, and I was filled with anger and rage. And if my mom was sitting in the room today, and we were to ask her at that time, who is your most frustrating relationship, she would say, his name is Thomas. And he lives in my house. And he is destroying our family. And there was, a, there was a gentleman who was in college at the time. It was an Air Force ROTC uh, cadet. And he loved me like Jesus. Filled with compassion. Patient. Bearing with me having space in his life for me in process. There was a time that I had fought with all my siblings. Such a good story. Uh, it's embarrassing. That's why it's so good. And I was so just angry and raged that I actually went and I locked myself in a bathroom. And my mom called Dave and said, Dave, I don't know what to do with him. He's locked himself in a bathroom. And Dave came to the house Knocked on the door. Hey, man, do you want to go get some ice cream? Yeah, I'd love to. And over the years with Dave, teaching me and showing me the ways of Jesus, I was captivated. 
As a young man filled with anger and rage, he taught me what it was to be a man of power under control. That's what gentleness is. It's strength under control so you don't harm the people around you. Where to direct your anger? Where does anger come from? And there I was captivated by Jesus and gave my life to Christ. A couple years ago, I, I reached out to him and told him I was a pastor. He was like, what happened? How, how did this happen? It's Jesus. He's the only transforming work that works. It's the only one. So if you want to change and put this off and put this on, Christ is the answer. Everything else, as Paul says, is of no value. It won't work. It's anecdotal. It'll simply suppress. It will never fix and transform the root issues of what's going on. And that's why we come to the communion table. Communion is relationship. This is the union table, the table of relationship that we have with God. And so we come to the communion table and remember the work of Jesus Christ that came to do what we could not do in taking our flesh and nailing it to the cross that we might be free and be free and transformed in ourselves and our relationships. And we might experience what God designed us for, which is flourishing. Which is our flourishing. So what we're going to do is we're going to move into communion. If you're helping with communion, come forward. And God takes relationships so seriously. He says, man, if you're out of whack in your relationships, you've got offenses against you or others, maybe, maybe pause. He says, pause. Don't eat the communion table. Go make it right with another. So maybe you need to like send out a note to somebody. Go make it right with, with them before you participate here. Because the relationships in your life matter to God. They matter a great deal. But let's move towards communion. And let's do what we should do is we should confess. Where we have lived out of the flesh this year or this week and ask the Lord to, to clothe us in the love of Jesus Christ towards others. Lord, we come to you, the designer of us, the creator of us, the one who made us from relationship for relationship. And we ask that you would continue to do your healing, transformative work in us. Lord, we confess the ways in which we have lived in the flesh this week, with our minds on the things of the world, the ways of the world, and not having our eyes fixed on Christ. And so, Lord, we confess those things to you. We know that you are faithful and just to forgive us of all of those things, to cleanse us of all of those things, and restore us. And so, Lord, we ask again that you would make us right, that we would live being right with you, be right with others. And so, Father, I just pray that you would bring to the forefront of our minds the relationships that we're in, that both are life-giving and those are life-taking. And Lord, as we remember your work for us, help us to love like you. Amen.